Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss trauma and how it is stored in the body. What causes trauma and what does it do to your body? We explore whether the rational thinking mind can deal with trauma and look at some of the ways that you can handle traumatic experiences in your life. What are the best strategies for feeling safe, feeling calm, and feeling in control of your own body? How do you release trauma from your body and feel safe? We discuss all this and much more with our guest, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. I'm going to tell you why you've been missing out on some incredibly cool stuff if you haven't signed up for our email list yet. All you have to do to sign up is to go to successpodcast.com and sign up right on the homepage. On top of tons of subscriber-only content, exclusive access, and live Q&As with previous guests, monthly giveaways, and much more, I also created an epic free video course just for you. It's called How to Create Time for What Matters Most Even When You're Really Busy. Email subscribers have been raving about this guide. You can get all of that and much more by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage or by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222 on your phone. If you like what I do on Science of Success, My email list is the number one way to engage with me and go deeper on what I discuss on the show, including free guides, actionable takeaways, exclusive content, and much, much more. Sign up for my email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on the go, if you're on your phone right now, it's even easier. Just text the word SMARTER That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. 
I can't wait to show you all the exciting things you'll get when you sign up and join the email list. In our previous episode, we discussed emotions at work. Do they have a place? What can you do about them? We looked at why you should be less passionate about your job. We explored the science behind actually being motivated at work and preventing yourself from being burnt out. And we shared a powerfully simple emotion management checklist that you can start using right now with our previous guests, Molly West Duffy and Liz Fosslian. If you want to understand how emotions fit into the workplace, listen to our previous episode. Now for our interview with Dr. Vanderkolt. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Bessel Vanderkolk. Dr. Vanderkolk is a Boston-based psychiatrist and the New York Times bestselling author of The Body Keeps the Score. He was previously the president of the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies, professor of psychiatry at Boston University Medical School, and medical director of the Trauma Center. He has taught at universities around the world and his work has been featured in Time, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, and much more. Dr. Vanderkolk, welcome to the Science of Success. Good afternoon, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're we're very excited to have you on the show today. I'd love to start out with r- really a fundamental discussion or, or understanding for listeners who, you know, I mean, uh, the word trauma really gets thrown around a lot, and 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 it's it's a it's a very deep subject. I'd love to just begin with something simple, which is how do you define trauma? What is trauma? A trauma is an experience that overwhelms you. That just wipes you out, just makes you have an experience, a reaction of, oh my God, and really makes you collapse, and makes you want to forget, it makes you want to push it away, it makes you want to erase it, it's an experience that makes it, it's too hard to go back to, uh, don't want to remember it, you don't want to feel it, because it's so horrendous. Is this something that only comes from the most extreme experiences of life, or can we experience or be traumatized by the experiences of sort of everyday existence? You know, trauma is really something that, that just just is so horrendous that you cannot encompass it, you cannot cope with it, that it's too much. And suddenly seeing your best friend getting killed or something is just like, oh my God, oh my God. It's not just a lousy experience. Not flunking for an exam or being fired from a job. So it has to be something more visceral, something that's almost the body can't can't quite process it. Yeah, it's really like the reaction is really, oh my god! It's really, it renders a person completely helpless and no way out, basically. But it can be as simple as being beaten up by your mom when you're a kid, even though you're screaming. She keeps going on, or he keeps going on. And so, it can, for kids, something in the family system can be quite horrendous in terms of being beaten up, or being kicked, or being molested in a way. For a child, the experience can be quite overwhelming. That for an adult, you could have fought back, or you could have done something about it. So, does helplessness play into our experience of trauma? Helplessness is an absolute precondition for it. The feeling needs to be like, there is nothing I can do to change what's going on here. I want to zoom out slightly and and hear from you a little bit about the history of our relationship and understanding of trauma and how to treat it in in the medical world. Well, the history waxes and wanes. Basically, just like people have been traumatized, society at large 
doesn't really want to think about it, doesn't really want to go there because it's too painful and people feel horrendous and helpless in, in response to it. So what I've seen in my lifetime, people tend to push things away after a war is over, civilian populations and politicians once again think, oh, let's go to war. Uh, for example, uh, before the invasion of Iraq, I wrote an editorial to the New York Times saying, yes, you can indeed go to war in Iraq, but what will happen is that after people come back, there will be more suicides than there were battle casualties because we know that from every other previous war, about half of the people who we will send off will become drug addicted or alcoholics because it happens after every war. Many of them will become unemployable. Their family relationships will oftentimes become extremely difficult and fraught with issues. So we know what will happen, but if you want to forget the reality of what happens after something like this, you can go to war. And so people continuously sort of ignore what happens. And we know with how there are about a million abused kids in America, and we tend to uh, just think, oh, somehow they'll get over it. Kids are resilient. And no, the kids, kids are not resilient, and we will pay a heavy price for ongoing maltreatment for children. So, so basically, the history has been always, let's push it under the rug, let's make it disappear, let's not pay attention to it. And then from time to time, something happens and something comes up in the culture, like right after a war, people say, oh my God, look what happened. And then before too long, it gets forgotten again. And then you have something like what's happened in the Mexican border right now with the refugees and everybody goes, oh my God, isn't it terrible that it's happening to these kids? But at the same time, we ignore the fact that 2.3 million American children have kids, have parents in jail who are, are living under circumstances not unlike what the refugees do at the Mexican border. One of the most interesting things that I, I found in your work is this idea that trauma is not just a story. It's not just an experience, but it, it actually physically changes the brain. Tell me about that. Yeah. So tra trauma is not... Is not a memory about something about the past. The past is over, but but the trauma sits inside of you and makes you feel and behave as if it is still going on. So uh, a traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder is really not post-traumatic. It is you right now feel like it's happening to you again, over and over again. You keep behaving and reacting as if you're stuck there. And so there is something very fundamental about the brain not knowing that it's over. Even though rationally you know it's over, uh, your system keeps reacting to all kinds of stuff as if it's still happening because the brain changes. Tell me a little bit more about how the brain changes and how trauma gets, for, for lack of a better word, or correct my phrasing if this, is, if this is wrong, but sort of stored in the body. Well... Basically, what happens is that the capacity of the brain to process an experience as belonging to the past is interfered with, and so the body automatically, the immune system and the endocrine system and the perceptual systems of the body, of the mind, of the brain, uh, continue to react as if they're still in danger, so uh, your body is more likely to develop autoimmune diseases, to 
react to things in an extreme way, to develop heart disease, to develop a number of illnesses, because the body stays on constant alert for something. And the body doesn't know what it stays on alert for, but it gets stuck in that hyper alertness. Uh, the, uh, the mind gets stuck in a state of, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt. And suddenly people may erupt in a defensive maneuver or become upset. And they know that it's irrational. They know they shouldn't behave like this, but something makes them feel and behave in a particular way. And that's because the perceptual system in the brain is rewired to overreact to current stresses. And is trauma stored in certain parts or areas of the body? Are there certain traumas that are that are stored in certain places, or how does that? It is how perceptual system of the body is organized. So it's it's brain circuits and body circuits basically. Uh, it's about your whole orientation. It's like speaking, learning how to speak a language. Like certainly your body, your mind is organized in a new way. Uh, so there are particular areas of the brain where you can say, yeah, you see it over there, you see it over there, you see it in the area called the amygdala, you see it in an area called the periaqueductal gray, you see it in another area called the anterior cingulate, you see it in another area called the parietal temporal junction, you see it in the insula, which is the connection between your brain and your body, how you perceive your body. And so there are many brain areas that are changed by trauma, and the longer the longer it's been going on, the more things changes and your your whole system becomes a, a system that tries to cope with the continuous reliving over time. Would it be correct to describe that almost as the body getting stuck or locked into that fight or flight mode? Fight or flight and freeze. And not, not just the body, the whole system. Uh, so the, the, the perceptions that people have, uh, the bodily reactions that people have, the way you interpret things, with your mind, uh, yeah, they get stuck in, they start, get stuck at the time of the trauma. I mean, they have a hard time moving on and getting new stuff in. One of the tragic things about being traumatized, it's very hard to learn new experiences, new integrations. Somehow, it becomes very hard to take in new experiences. So it becomes hard to learn. That's why it's such a gigantic public health issue, and that's why feeding and taking care of abuse and trauma to kids is so important because if gets, kids get stuck there, uh, it becomes very hard for them to become contributing members of society. That's also true for uh, for veterans, of course. So they get, their identity is, I'm a warrior, I get st- stuck there. They keep having their military decals on their car and that's the identity. It's hard to move on and say, that's a long time ago. Tell me a little bit more about some of the science behind, obviously you have a, a very robust research background been studying and, and working on the problem of trauma for a long time. Tell me about some of the science and some of the research behind it. Of course, the, the technology that we have is mainly in the area of brain scans. So the technology has changed and over the past 30 years, we have been able to visualize a lot of how these changes are organized in the brain. So the first one of the most important findings was our very first study and uh, very first brain study of traumatized people where we saw that the trauma is really lodged in the right side of the brain, sort of the 
back of the right side of the brain, which is the non-rational reactive part of the brain we refer to as the housekeeping of the body. That's the part of you that takes care of how your body is organized in many ways. So what we discovered is that basically the trauma barely goes into your rational part of the brain, but it really goes into the way you, into the way you organize your body. And so your body keeps reacting as if you're in danger. And so you have these physiological reactions where you get upset and your heart starts racing, you start secreting stress hormones at inappropriate times. And so you feel out of control and the people around you think this person is nuts. But it's not only the arousal, which is part of what happens after trauma, it's also the shutting down. When you feel completely helpless, you don't keep fighting. And so you, so trauma is not primarily about a fight-flight response, it's primarily about the shutdown response. So your body starts getting into a defensive mode to try not to feel and try to not experience, try not to overreact. And so one of the most tragic results of trauma is people trying to shut themselves down and not to feel anything at all. And that, of course, makes it very hard to feel alive and to be engaged with your environment. And often people result to things like drugs and alcohol and, and even in the Western approach to solving trauma in many cases people look to things like pharmaceuticals as kind of the first step in that process is that correct it's fascinating for me how doctors keep looking for psychotropic agents and for drugs to to make people feel better but in fact our research that shows that drugs don't work very well at all for example we did a series of studies three of them actually where we showed that yoga is more effective than any drug that has been studied. The one drug that's probably helpful to make you not feel anything is opioid drugs. That's maybe part of why there's such a large opioid epidemic. Drugs that doctors prescribe are are not particularly helpful uh, most of the time. And so drugs generally are not the answer. But in our most current research, actually, we're using psychotropic agents uh, is using uh, hallucinogens. We're looking. Um, we're using psilocybin and MDMA ecstasy to help people to really reorganize these perceptual problems. But that won't be legal for a number of years. But that's our latest research that we're involved in. Uh, so you can actually allow yourself to get the courage to process the, all the information if you take these um, hallucinogens. These psilocybin or MDMA ecstasy uh, seem to be very helpful to help people to sort of in a very quiet and self-compassionate way to say, yes, this is what happened to me. It happened to me a long time ago. It's awful, very painful, but now I'm in a living different stage of my life. And so uh, one of the most exciting areas of research right now is the work that I and many of my colleagues are doing and these newer agents. You know, it's funny. I just read an article last week about MDMA therapy and obviously it's illegal in the United States, but it was a fascinating read, not something I've done a lot of homework on, but it's, it's, it's curious to see that you've also recently been doing some research around MDMA and its solutions for, for trauma. Yeah. This is one of the promising frontiers. It's not the only one. Uh, 
The other thing that we're doing is something called neurofeedback. Now that we know that what the circuits are of the brain that get disturbed, we actually are able to harvest people's brainwaves, project them on a computer, and then have people play computer games with their own brainwaves in a way to reorganize their brainwaves. That's actually, for me, an even more exciting prospect. It's not nearly as sexy as the hallucinogens, but it would be a fantastic thing if we could do this for school children who are traumatized because we could help kids to be alert and attentive and to manage their emotions so they can actually be children and be engaged with the, the classroom procedures. That sounds really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about this idea of playing computer games with your brainwaves. You know, you can harvest people's brainwaves by putting electrodes on the skull and harvest what's underneath it. Then you can project it on the screen and then you can play a computer game where we can sort of reinforce certain brainwave patterns for people. So whenever your brain does the right thing, you a spaceship starts moving or colors starts coming up or something happens so the brain gets reinforced to create new patterns of engaging with the world around us away from the habitual traumatizing patterns. Which kinds of brainwaves are you typically trying to produce or reinforce with this neurofeedback? Well, we certainly tried to not have the frontal lobe part of the brain be asleep as it's oftentimes is, isn't traumatized people. So you certainly don't want to have delta or theta waves in the front. And you certainly don't want to have very fast agitated waves in the back of the brain, which is supposed to quietly monitor your body instead of exciting your body. So you need to, re- it's really the circuits of the brain that you try to rearrange so that you actually are in a state where you can play very good attention to what's going on around you and when your brain is not primarily oriented towards, oh my God, something terrible is going to happen to my body and I'm in danger. So this basic applied neurophysiology, applied uh, neuroscience where we can actually help people to rewire how the different parts of the brain communicate to each other. I want to I want to come back to something you touched on a minute ago and explore a little bit more some of the really simple mind-body interventions that people can use to help overcome or deal with trauma. Tell me a little bit more about yoga and I know you've also written and spoken about qigong as another potential solution. Tell me more about those, what the research shows and See, our culture is not a culture that is very much focused on self-regulation, but there's other cultures like Chinese are very good at, some Indians are very good at, at, where you can really learn to control your own physiology. And so there's these age-old Chinese and Indian methods where you can actually learn to, by controlling your breath and controlling your movements, can manage your own physiological arousal. And so the only thing I've studied there is yoga. I've not really studied Tai Chi or Qigong, but I'd be surprised if they wouldn't do the same thing. You can actually learn to manage the housekeeping of your body, which gets so disturbed by trauma, by engaging in a regular yoga practice and really learning how to move and to breathe in a way that makes you feel calm and safe. I call this sort of out post-alcoholic culture. So the mainstream culture, the Western culture is very much, if you feel bad, take a drug. 
And so we give these very contradictory messages to our kids. We say to our kids, don't take drugs, but take this drug for your ADHD or take this drug for your bipolar illness. And what we don't really teach kids or adults in our culture is you can actually regulate your own physiology. And one of the things that I'm really pushing with whoever I can talk to is that every school should learn the four R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, and self-regulation, and that every school actually should teach kids how to regulate their own physiology. It It should be a basic skill that all of us as humans should learn. So let's dig into that a little bit. Tell me practically, what does it look like to use some of these techniques to regulate your own physiology? You start every day with doing yoga or qigong. You start by sitting still, focusing on your body, activating the interoceptive part of your brain, the midline cortical structure of your brain, which has to do with self-regulation. You pay attention to your internal world. You pay attention to the way you move. You pay attention to the way you breathe. You notice how your breathing patterns change your thinking and your mood patterns, and you really become familiar with your own internal world. So basically what I advocate is that everybody, but particularly traumatized people, really have a practice in which every day they practice being still and working with their bodies to regulate their physiology. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this interview who thinks that yoga or meditation or some of these practices are unscientific or kind of new agey or or not really effective interventions for traumatic experiences? I would say read, read the literature. <laughs> like, that, that means that you really are unfamiliar with the science and you should look up my name and go into Google Scholar and see our, the research that I and other people have done. So the science is resoundingly clear that a lot of these sometimes ancient mind-body interventions are, are really bearing out to be really effective ways of managing our own bodies and, and integrating our mind and body more closely. Yeah, that may be why people have been doing it for thousands of years, yeah. Chanting is also very good for people. Chanting changes your heart rate variability, changes the way that your brain stem, the core of your brain is regulating your body. Works. Every religion involves chanting, basically. It's very sad that people don't chant as so much in our culture anymore. Our grand- grandparents all chanted and sang, but we don't do it very much anymore. And we should go back to actually uh, singing in unison with other people, as people have always done in every religion, because it helps people to feel calm and safe. The military also does it. Huh? They do the cadences. And so moving and singing together is very good for people's physiology. And is that something that you have to be chanting with other people to sync up kind of collectively together, or can you do it by yourself? You probably can do it by yourself, but traditionally, for since time immemorial, people have worked on making themselves feel calm and a member of a community by singing together. And making music together is a communal enterprise, and one of the big things with trauma is that you feel isolated, lonely, and bereft, and separated from anybody else, learning how to get in tune with other people, being in sync with other people, is undoubtedly a very good thing when you're traumatized. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. What about something or, or what has your research shown around things like exposure therapy or revisiting past experiences or past traumas as a, as a methodology for healing or overcoming traumatic experiences? Well, blasting people with the memory of the trauma is the worst thing you can do to people. You may, if you blast people long enough, make them desensitize them, but you will also desensitize them to themselves and everything else around them. And so making people less sensitive is not the purpose of treatment. I think the whole notion of exposure treatment is really a misunderstanding about what traumatic stress does because it's not the memory that really is the primary issue, but it's the fact that your brain has changed in response to the old thing. You need to help your brain to feel safe in the present. It's indeed helpful to be able to relive the memory from a very safe point of view. But the most important thing is that the mind and the brain needs to be very calm as you revisit the horror of the past. And so making people feel horrified as they relive the, the past is very, very bad for them and would be anti-therapeutic. And the reason why we do things like psychedelics and MDMA when we give people, uh, treat people for PTSD, 
is because these drugs help people feel very safe and very calm so that the mind and the brain is capable of actually going back there and saying, yes, this happened to me, but this happened to me a long time ago. Uh, so just blasting people with their past is very bad for them. This is obviously a point you made earlier in the conversation, but it bears repeating because it's such an important understanding of the way that this functions, that it's not about the memory of the experience, but rather that because of the experience, the brain, the body, really the entire system uh, or your entire system is is locked into this state of being on on high alert or being in threat mode. And that these interventions, these mind-body interventions like yoga or uh, chanting, et cetera, are ways to help people feel safe inside their own bodies. That's, yeah, that's, the, the, core, the operative word here is feeling safe, calm, and in control over your own physiology. And so you don't want to do anything to just blast people with things that make them feel out of control again. And so the, the whole teaching issue is how can I help you to feel safe inside and to feel have the courage to face very, very difficult things while you feel safe and you feel like no harm can help, can occur to you. And so the most important thing is to create an environment of safety and physiological calm in which healing can occur. So at the risk of rehashing some of the stuff we've already talked about, I, th- I think it bears digging back into this a little bit, tell me really specifically, what are the best strategies that your your science, your research decades in, in trauma treatment have uncovered for helping people feel safe, calm, and in control of their own bodies and their own physiologies? Well, so it starts off as feeling safe in your body. And that means that you need to actually do something that allows you to feel your sensations without being freaked out by them. So the experience of trauma is relived in the form of heartache and gut-wrenching physical sensations. It's a bodily experience of, oh my God, I'm in danger and this is intolerable. So the reason why people take drugs is because they have intolerable physical sensations. They cannot stand the way their body feels. And so the core issue is we need to help people to feel safe in their bodies. And so breathing, moving, chanting, yoga, qigong, maybe dancing, massages, maybe one. People have to discover first, how can I make my body feel safe? And once your body feels safe, you can allow yourself to slowly go to experiences from the past that are too horrifying to meet and to encounter again. So once you feel really safe, you can bite off little pieces of what happened back then and say, yes, that was horrible. But I was three years old and when I was 18 year old, seeing that person being blown up or being threatened or being raped was horrendous. But because I feel safe right now, I can really deeply appreciate that what happened back then is something that belongs to my past and not to my present. But you can only do that once your body in this is feels safe and feels deeply rooted in the time that you live in, 2018 in our case. You see, mindfulness is difficult for most traumatized people because becoming still 
It means that you empty out your mind and then the demons from the past tend to come up. Uh, so just sitting still in meditation is for most traumatized people a big challenge. Uh, so doing something like yoga tai chi might help you to mind you help your mind to focus and your body to focus and generally is more safe for people than just sitting in meditation. But I have nothing but great respect for people who have the capacity to sit in silence for 10 days and allow the demons to come out and to wrestle with them and to lay them to rest. That's an interesting point and, and, and one I think that's worth digging into a little bit more, this idea that Meditation is a very effective strategy, but it's often very challenging to sit and, and experience those those feelings. And that's why something with, with a little bit of movement, with a little bit of activity to help ground you in your body really helps make it easier to deal yeah, with yeah. those those feelings of fear and panic and anxiety that they're, you're viscerally experiencing. And the other thing that's important to say is that none of this has to do with understanding, it has nothing... Uh, so explaining why you're messed up helps people to understand, oh, now I know I, why I'm messed up. But understanding why you're messed up does not make stop you from being messed up. And so explaining to people, oh, you shouldn't feel that way because this happened a long time ago, and today is December 2018. How can you be so stupid to continue to feel like that is not really a good treatment. And you should not pay for treatments like that. And I think you, I think you previously phrased it in such a way that it's it's not a problem that you can rationally solve. That's right. These are, the rational brain has nothing to do with this. This has to do with your animal brain. Has to do with the housekeeping of your body and your core entity of yourself that that feels in danger, even though you know that you're not in danger. You know. That this per- you know rationally this person is go- not going to hurt you, but your body feels like this person is about to rape you again. And so it comes from a, a different part of your brain that comes from that right, deep survival part of your brain. And you need to go into your survival brain. Sitting on your butt and talking about it is not going to solve the issue. So for somebody who who's listening to this conversation who wants to practically start implementing some of these solutions, whether it's breathing, chanting, yoga, et cetera, what, are there any particular resources or practices or strategies, whether that either you researched or that you recommend or that you think are, are great starting places for getting back into the body and, and creating that sense of calm and, and, and peace with yourself? That is the big, big question. I think you know, if you go to the American Psychological Association website, and uh, there are some people who advertise themselves as being tra- trauma savvy, uh, they may or may not be. Indeed, anybody who can work with bodily states would be very helpful. I think EMDR, eye movement desensitization processing, is a very nice technique to help lay relatively uncomplicated trauma to rest. Important thing too. So there's a lot of EMDR trainers, people who have been trained in somatic experiencing or sensory motor psychotherapy tend to be people who basically know the principles of this. Going to trauma-sensitive yoga is helpful. Going to certain healing centers 
like Kapalu Yoga Center here in Massachusetts and so forth. Uh, yeah, this the Sidran Foundation. It's a foundation that has good resources. The Trauma Center, the Trauma Research Foundation, we have resources on our website. Also, what Experiencing does. The Center for Self-Leadership has very good uh, resources. Actually, my book has a whole bunch of resources in the back of it of people who do various things that are helpful. What's important here is that, you know, we have this rush towards evidence-based treatments, but it's important to remember this this work is 30 years old. Huh? People had just been gradually discovering all kinds of new things. For example, 10 years ago, I knew nothing about neurofeedback. Most people I know still don't know anything about neurofeedback, but now a number of people are good with neurofeedback. Two years ago, we started to do MDMA therapy. And that's very promising. So all of this is a work in progress. And so it's not like, oh, we have discovered it. We know what the truth is. And this is what the evidence is. So uh, people are continuously learning, finding new treatments. So it's impo- important to know that this is a, an evolving field. I think that's a very important disclaimer. And, and we'll make sure to include all of the various resources, obviously linked to your book and your website and, and all the resources you mentioned in the show notes for listeners who want to come and do some homework or want to find some really detailed solutions and strategies. I wanted to clarify or understand, dig a little bit deeper into two of the things you mentioned. One, just a point of clarification, and forgive me for mispronouncing it, but you you said something with the Cedron Foundation, or I, I missed that. Cedron, uh, S-I-D-R-A-N is a foundation that has paid close attention to this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We'll make sure that's in the notes. And then the second one, you, you mentioned the phrase somatic experiencing. Tell me a little bit, what is that and how does it work? Somatic experiencing is one particular trauma treatment that very much focuses on the body getting stuck in trauma and helping to release and feel safe in your body. It's similar to uh, another sister method called somatic experiencing, to, I mean, the, uh, sensory motor psychotherapy, two methods developed by two different friends of mine. So EMDR is a, is a very strange technique that invented by Francine Shapiro about 25 years ago, who discovered that if you uh, call up a memory and you move your eyes from side to side, that that oftentimes leads to that memory losing some of its power. And it's something that I did research on, uh, funded by the National Institute of Health, and we found that indeed it's very helpful in many, many cases. And we recently finished a study in the brain scanner, seeing what it does, and that actually we're able to show that moving your eyes from side to side indeed does change, uh, activate some brain circuits. It has to do with self-perception and being able to put things in the proper time sequence. It's great to see all of these different techniques and strategies. There's a lot of solutions out there for people who might be experiencing trauma, who are, who are suffering and struggling. For listeners who are who are listening to this episode, who want to start with with one simple action item or piece of homework to to implement some of the ideas and solutions we've talked about today, what would be one piece of advice you'd give for them? I think the first action item actually is to uh, two. One is to take care of your body and to really begin to 
develop a loving relationship to taking care of your body. And I think yoga, qigong, maybe tango, maybe tango dancing, maybe martial arts, a way in which you really get in touch with your bodily sensations and learn how to manage your bodily sensations would be the foundation as far as I'm concerned. Being able to tell somebody what has happened to you and what you're so terrified of is also very helpful. Being able to get things off your chest, being able to say, say to somebody, I was raped, I was molested. To really tell the truth is also very important. It doesn't make it go away, but being able to put it out there and say, this is what I'm struggling with, is a very important issue also being met by somebody who really takes you very seriously and doesn't try to fix you, but tries to help you to find ways in which you can feel better about yourself is very important. And for listeners who want to actually, before we, before we get into that, I, I have one other theme or question that I, that I, that came up when you were talking about that, that I wanted to ask about for something as simple as, as a cardio workout, whether it's biking, walking, running, have you, found any research or any work around whether that's an effective way to get back into the body and, and, and help alleviate some of this? It can be, but cardio workouts can also be great ways of actually separating from your body. Uh, uh, being like a, a mouse on a treadmill, it doesn't really make your mind feel more connected with your body. People can use marathon running and uh, these very hard exercises as ways of not feeling themselves. Uh, so it's really the, the mindful body techniques that are helpful. Uh, but, you know, if you go to a gym and you go on the treadmill, you watch Fox News, I would not call that good trauma treatment. I think that's an important insight, and I wanted to understand that. So for listeners who want to find you, find your book, your work, et cetera, online, what's the best place for them to, to go to do that? I have a, a Facebook blog, The Body Keeps Score. My book is worth reading. I like to say that it has sold three million copies, so it must be worth reading for some people. Our website is traumaresearchfoundation.org. Then I have a personal website called bestofvanderkolk.com. Well, Dr. Vanderkolk, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all of your incredible research and experience and strategies and solutions for overcoming trauma. Thank you. And good luck with your program. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. 
Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. 